coronavirus. Facts, not fear. Today we saw the state's first shelter-in-place proclamation, as well as a surge on Wall Street as lawmakers inch closer to a stimulus package. Good evening and thank you for joining us for this special Facts Not Fear. I'm Gerald Owens. And I'm Deborah Morgan. We are coming to you this time each night to bring you the headlines and offer unique insight into the news of the day and how North Carolina is dealing with this crisis. Today, Governor Roy Cooper shared the letter where he asked President Trump to declare North Carolina a major disaster area, which would open the gate for more federal funding. The state's first shelter-in-place order came out of the Charlotte area this afternoon, set to take effect on Thursday. And within the past hour, the White House wrapped up its briefing with a new warning for those who have been to New York. Anyone who has been to the Big Apple recently is being asked to self-quarantine for two weeks due to a spike in infections there. We begin with WRO's Mark Boyle. He is in the Live Center with new cases coming in from Wake and Durham counties. Mark. Gerald, good evening. Right around this time, we do get updates from counties across the triangle. We want to start with Durham County right now. Three Durham County residents have tested positive, so that's in addition to what they've been experiencing. That brings the total number to 74. Now, what's different about this update here tonight is there is evidence of community spread. That indicates there's at least one confirmed case in which a person's diagnosed and has not traveled to any highly impacted areas or can't trace uh, their last contact with someone who has COVID-19. Switching over to Wake County right now, this is all they're issuing. Not a full release this evening, but as of 640, so about 15 minutes ago, the now confirmed cases in Wake County is up to 73. We'll continue to monitor developments here in the Live Center throughout the next 30 minutes for you. Back to you. All right, thank you, Mark. A change in testing procedure in Wake County could affect the number of positive cases. Statewide, we are at 482 with no deaths. This number will be higher once we add those Wake County cases. Wake County leaders are urging anyone not in the high-risk category who is experiencing symptoms to self-quarantine for seven days before being tested. The state also launched a hotline today to help essential workers find child care. Workers who need care can call 1-888-600-1685 to receive local options for infants and children up to 12 years old. The hotline is staffed from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Charlotte area is the first in the state to issue a stay-at-home proclamation. This means people there can only go to work if they're considered essential and make visits to the doctor, grocery store and other essential places. This takes effect Thursday morning. The move there comes behind other big cities on the East Coast where similar orders are already in effect. This is a look at Boston from the sky today where a stay at home advisory went into effect at noon. Some people living in Durham want the same order and they're urging the governor to use his powers to do it at the state level. A spokesperson for his office says it's an option that will be reevaluated as the situation evolves. Drive through testing continues Thursday morning in Cumberland County. The testing site at the Public Health Center on Ramsey Street is not open to the public. Anyone receiving testing must have a referral and an appointment. Two big headlines in Wake County today. One of them, the suspension of gun permits. Earlier this week, WREL reported on a surge of gun sales in our area. Wake County Sheriff Gerald Baker says this year's surge forced his office to make the decision to no longer accept permit applications, at least through the end of next month. It's also an effort to keep employees safe and follow social distancing guidelines. Sheriff Baker says any applications currently on file will be processed. This restriction is in place through the end of April. 
The other headline involves getting thousands of Wake County students learning again. Today, the governor extended statewide school closures until May 15th, increasing the pressure on school leaders to fine-tune their distance learning plan. Wake County leaders are working around the clock to make this happen. A big hurdle is making sure students and families have access to the technology they'll need. For those who don't, bus drivers will step in. If students or families don't have either hardware or connectivity, we're also using bus drivers uh, and they will be, along with teacher assistants, will be delivering uh, information uh, and materials to students uh, along bus routes that don't have uh, access or that sort of thing. To give you an idea of the scope of this undertaking, we are talking about 10,000 teachers and 160,000 students. Teachers will begin reaching out to students next week. A big international headline today, the Olympics are on hold until next year. We do not have a date yet, but right now it's being rescheduled for some time in 2021. The decision comes after several countries said they would not send athletes this year. Wall Street surged late today on hopes of Congress passing a stimulus deal, logging its best close in 87 years and one of the best one-day percentage gains, more than 11% ever. It was the Dow's fifth best day ever. Among the communities banking on a big bailout, South Carolina's tourism industry. One lawmaker there wants a $100 billion bailout. Now, you don't see this very often in the spring. Ocean Boulevard in Myrtle Beach, empty. Spring breakers normally pack the Grand Strand this time of year. Similar to our area, restaurants there only allowed to offer takeout. One congressman says if the airline industry gets help, so should tourism. Tourism will be affected far more than any manufacturing entity will. So, uh, no, I, I, I feel like this is entirely appropriate. He stressed the money would be used to help those who are currently out of work. Over the past few weeks, we've used this opportunity to bring in experts from a variety of fields. And tonight we're going to talk about the narrative surrounding pandemics. Now, think about this. We, are, we haven't seen a pandemic worldwide since 1968. That was a flu pandemic, and that was 52 years ago. We're joined now via Zoom by Duke English professor, Dr. Priscilla Wald. She's the author of Contagious Cultures, Carriers, and the Outbreak Narrative. Dr. Wald, thanks for joining us. Uh, we, you've studied pandemics. You. There are common mm -hmm. themes, but we've never been through anything like this. Do those common themes of past pandemics still play into what we're seeing tonight? Absolutely, they do. The classic outbreak narrative, as I call it, um, begins with an outbreak somewhere that becomes a pandemic, and there's a worldwide panic and a rush between, um, on the one hand, the microbe, and on the other hand, medical science to, and epidemiology to try to contain it. So this is very much an outbreak narrative. You know, one of the things uh, as a news organization we try to focus on is covering the facts and not fear. Yet when you have messages coming from the CDC, the World Health Organization, the White House, the governor's office, what can and should be changing about the way messages might be relayed? That's a very good question. And I think journalists are in a very tough situation because if people aren't scared, they're not going to stay indoors. And this is absolutely the absolute right way to handle something like this. It is a crisis and we should be sheltering in place. At the same time, I think because we've never in the US experienced measures quite like this, 
people are responding to it as though it's the avian virus from contagion, where you're going to walk out in the street, turn purple and drop dead. And I think um, I urge balance that on the one hand, please do take seriously the request to shelter in place. On the other hand, there's no reason for panic and panic is only gonna cause more problems. We should do the best we can. We should obey the requests to shelter in place, whether or not they become you know, mandates and we should keep our heads about us at the same time. Dr. Wald, you write a lot about globalization, yet here we are in this country, one of the largest countries on the planet, and we didn't pay as much attention to this until it reached our shores as it was decimating China and as it moved on toward this direction. Is that typical in pandemics? Well, we saw the same thing with the um, 2014 Ebola outbreak that, um, and, and this is the flip side of the panic around the outbreak narrative. The other side of it is we're so familiar with this narrative and the narrative is that, or the story we tell ourselves, the story that runs through the media and popular fiction and film is massive outbreak. Uh, it's, it's a medical thriller. It's a mystery story. Uh, the mystery is solved and the virus is contained. And I think we're so used to that story that one danger of it is we don't take it seriously when it happens. We figure, oh, well, we've been through this before. It will be contained. And I think that's what happened in 2014 with the Ebola outbreak in Africa. And I do think that's what happened with the coronavirus, that there was a sense of, yeah, we know this drill. We've been through this before. This isn't going to be a big deal and it was out of control before we were ready to contain it. Yeah, one thing different about this narrative from 2014, it didn't affect our psyches and the economy and the near and possibly distant future the way this is hitting us. Absolutely, because it didn't really get here. There were very few people affected in the United States and anyone who got the infection in the United States actually survived, the people who contracted it while they were here as opposed to came with it. So it wasn't the same kind of immediate threat and it certainly didn't close down the entire world. It affected the local economies at least as much as where it was uh, rampant, at least as much as this, but this one is worldwide. So that's gonna have much bigger ramifications. And Dr. Wall, one last question. Once we get through this and we will, what happens? Well, what happens and what I wish would happen are two different things. What actually happens is the economy is in trouble. Eventually that settles. People eventually forget what it felt like to be in this situation. And my hope is, my wish would be that people would actually recognize that this is part of a much bigger set of problems. The problem of not having universal access to healthcare, problem of climate change, um, the problem of global poverty generally, those are that global poverty is the biggest single vector that turns an outbreak into a pandemic because obviously a population that is susceptible living close together is going to transmit the disease more rapidly and even possibly um, with, with mutations. And I wish we would address first and foremost for humanitarian reasons, but secondly, for economic and um, health reasons, 
it would it would be much wiser for us to to understand how these bigger problems are con, are uh, connected and make the efforts we need to start making to address all of them but i fear people's memories aren't that long well, hopefully this time those memories will extend. We shall see. Dr. Priscilla Wald with Duke University, thank you for your time tonight. And here at WREL, you'll notice how we are implementing social distancing and our storytelling, our narratives. This includes remote interviews we would normally have on set in-house. To hear how WREL is working hard to keep our employees safe while also bringing you the latest news every day, download the latest episode of our podcast called how to Commit Journalism. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look. Just search How to Commit Journalism wherever you download podcasts. Up next on Facts Not Fear, the conversations you should be having with your children, young and older. Deborah will break down what parents need to know and say. And saving small businesses, the list every business owner needs to have handy during this time. Gerald Owens talks with the CEO and small business expert. A lot of high school students looking towards college are in limbo right now. Standardized tests are being canceled. They may have a hole in their transcripts. What are colleges going to do? From canceled classes and SATs to financial concerns, a generation preparing to take a hit from COVID-19 is college-bound students. WRL's Amanda Lamb looks at the concerns they have and how universities are preparing to deal with them. A lot of high school students are concerned they're going to have holes in their transcripts if they don't finish the spring semester. They're also concerned about standardized tests being canceled. They've now been put off until June, and no one knows for sure if that will take place. A lot of college counselors believe colleges are going to have to take into account the limitations these students are going through. High school junior Dean Eleven was supposed to take the SAT March 14th. It was canceled. I'd been um, studying for like months, so this is like kind of um, a disappointment for me. Tutors who prepare students for the college boards say they will get more chances. This is uncharted territory for everybody. You know, college board and ACT are probably running through all the scenarios. You know, what can we do? Can we offer more test dates? Um, can we do something over the summer? I was talking to my college counselor about it, and I was telling her that I was kind of anxious about it. And she's like, well, don't worry, because everyone's in the same boat. Some students are also worried about having a hole in their transcripts for an unfinished semester. Counselors say colleges may accept transcripts with pass or fail indicators instead of grades. And they may go score blind, not requiring standardized testing. I think they all realize that they're going to have to make some changes um, and do some things that are a little different to accommodate, you know, these students that are um, having to go through this. NC State's director of undergraduate admissions, John Westover, says the state needs to give public universities guidance on what changes they can make. You know, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors that are in high school will have some kind of an odd situation for this particular year on their transcript. Uh, hopefully the system and, and DPI just get together and, and make sure that everybody understands. 
Across the country, the college acceptance day is May 1, but a lot of colleges are now pushing that date later, understanding that families may have more financial concerns about college right now. They may also not want their sons or daughters to go away to college and want them to stay closer to home. NC State is still keeping that May 1st date for now. Back to you. Another concern for students, AP testing. Those courses can save a lot of money heading into college. To help, the College Board says it will offer live and on-demand AP courses for free starting tomorrow. We have a full schedule on WRAL.com. The Board is also developing a new at-home testing option. A full testing schedule and more details will be available on April 3rd. Whether you have young children or teenagers at home around the clock during this new normal, plenty of parents out there are dealing with firsts. Many of the questions into our newsroom have centered around how to talk to children. What do we discuss with them and how do we answer questions we may not know the answer to? Dr. Robin Gerwich is a Duke faculty member in psychiatry and behavioral sciences department. One of her areas of research is supporting children in the aftermath of trauma or disasters. Here's what she had to say about talking with young children. Parents need to sit down and have conversations with their children no matter what their age. Um, and sometimes the best way to do it is just to sit them down and say there's been so much talk about coronavirus, that's why we're all at home. Tell me what you know. Because that allows parents and caregivers to get an idea of where their children are starting from, whether they're four or 14. Um, and that allows them to begin to hear what's the correct information their children may have, what are the rumors and myths and misperceptions their children can, are carrying around, and they can begin to to um, correct those. Uh, it's a myth to think we shouldn't bring it up. If children aren't bringing it up first, that means they're not worried. If children aren't bringing it up, it, it can mean a whole host of things from, it must be so bad my parents won't talk about it, to maybe they don't really know about it and I don't wanna upset them. So um, starting that conversation is critical. Comes to keeping your teenagers occupied, Dr. Gerwich recommends plenty of exercise, solitary walks or runs outside, helping elderly neighbors by either collecting their mail or bringing in trash, and helping with younger siblings. It's also important for parents to be good examples when it comes to social distancing. For example, don't invite your neighbors over for a weekend cookout, then tell your children they can't have a friend over. Coming up, the hit on small businesses in Central North Carolina, how the community responds, and the eight tips for all business owners struggling during this time. We'll be right back. The latest trend taking off online is in support of restaurants hit hard by the virus across the country. You may have seen this on your platforms. Today is the day, the Great American Takeout. It urges those stuck at home to choose one of their favorite restaurants and order takeout. With restaurants being forced to close their dining rooms to in-house in dining, these restaurants are relying on people to take out food to help them stay afloat. And it's not just restaurants. Salons, parlors, and other businesses are hurting as well. Here to offer some support and tips for small businesses is small business expert and CEO, Ethan Slotkin. Ethan, thanks for being with us. Uh, what are some of the things that business owners are doing around the country to stay afloat, whether it's cost-cutting measures, marketing, perhaps getting some help from the community? Yeah, so, you know, I think some of the innovative measures that, that you're talking about are definitely happening. 
um, it's a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because businesses that were previously running well are having to adjust what their strategy is. And so I think first and foremost, uh, very rapidly understanding the financials of the, of, of the business. You know, ideally uh, with any business, they, they would know the, the, the numbers inside and out prior to right now. But at the very least, if, if people get busy understanding the numbers right now and figuring out what the actual minimum burn rate is, meaning how much money a business has to spend regardless, uh, and then tailoring the strategy around that too. So it's, it's a little bit of a, an adaptation of the times to figure out what's viable, but then also what's actually um, good for consumers that consumers are going to take up as well. Uh, I think the other thing that I see that's interesting happening is that's really crucial is a bit of scenario planning. We still have some uncertainty uh, in terms of what the impact is going to be for small businesses, um, you know, what kind of, uh, of other programs are going to be put in place. So I think really, um, you know, prudent scenario planning for your business and accounting for the different pathways that could happen, extremely crucial at this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, real quick, I know money's tight for businesses, but employees are worrying about their jobs. What conversations should businesses be having with their employees right now? What's the most important thing? Yeah, I mean, I think an open one is, is you know, certainly a really good place to start, which is, look, you know, we, we have our business, we need to make sure it runs, and without running the business somewhat profitably, there is no business that even exists to begin with for, for anybody, right? Um, so I think it's it's partially this open conversation. It's going to be an uncomfortable one for everybody, business owners and potentially employees alike. It's been a comfortable time right now. But I think this is the time when also having those relationships with your employees and working together in the scheme of innovation to be able to figure out how to adjust your business yeah. for now and potentially even for the midterm is, is really valuable. And conversations that will be had. Thank you, Ethan. We appreciate you joining us. Now, we know many of you want to help your neighbors in need during this crisis. We have a growing list of links, donation needs, and ways to help students while schools are closed. Just go to WRL.com and search here to help. Our next news is at 10 on Fox 50 and at 11 right here, 50 and at 11 right here on WRL. Thanks for watching. Have a great night.